Thanks for tuning in to Christian Medical and Dental Association's chapel. May the message be a blessing to you. started off experiencing the awe of God's nature, which was uh, stimulated um, a year or so ago by this article, why it's awesome that your brain can experience awe. And the author, a very secular author, um, what is awe? A response to encountering something more vast, complex, or mind-blowing than we had conceived of either physically or conceptually. And uh, the first time I shared about God's the awe of God's presence, experiencing His presence in our lives. And then last time on Valentine's Day, I shared about experiencing the awe of God's passion. And uh, just last week, uh, we heard from uh, Dr. Burgess an incredible um, uh, review of what Christ suffered uh, on the cross for us, the ultimate sharing of passion uh, and pain and suffering on our behalf. So, um, this is part three, experiencing the awe of God's power, and this is going to be a part one because I had like five or six different things I wanted to talk about with respect to God's power, and it's just the more I would take a deep dive, there would just be more and more and more to think about and to share. I, I think I just, a, a whole sermon series, have you ever preached a sermon series on God's power, <laughs> Bert? It's just there's so much all throughout Scripture about God's power and the theme verse for these two chapels that I'm going to share, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. There's a lot of talk in the church, but Paul says it's a matter of power in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. You know, when I think about things that God has done that I see in the Old and New Testament that send chills up and down my spine, all kinds of images come to me from both the Old and New Testament. One of those images is the one I used as the backdrop for this title slide, and over and over again, the Israelites are taken back to this moment when the Red Sea is parted. You know, uh, Charlton, was it Charlton Heston, uh, you know, who stood up there as Moses and, and watched the Red Sea, and um, I think there may be even a special on how they actually made that work, but a path through the, through the bottom of the Red Sea for the Israelites to walk through, and just all the incredible things that God did, the miraculous things that God did. <clears throat> What's so amazing to me, and I, I just this morning was reading Moses' final farewell uh, before God took him on Mount Pisgah, which is part of the Israel tour, for those of you who have never been before. It's a, it's a Mount Pisgah where Moses left uh, the children of Israel. Uh, but Moses was rehearsing all the incredible things God did. And so, you know, we just think if God would just do enough miracles that we could convince people he's real. But look at the children of Israel. I mean, over and over again, incredible things. And in, and in a couple of weeks, they're back to square one over and over again. And so, yes, we want to experience the awe of God's power, but it, even the, the hardest heart, even the most incredible miraculous, Jesus told the man who said um, from, from uh, hell, or the man who said to Abraham, let me go back and tell my brothers, and he said, no, if, if, um, even if someone comes back from the dead, if they won't believe Moses and the prophets uh, and all that took place for the children of Israel, they're not going to believe someone coming back uh, from the dead. And I have my own experience with sort of a ho-hum 
a ho-hum perspective on awe and God's miracles. I was doing rounds at Tenwick on the orthopedic ward, and we would have rotating residents from other hospitals come and do rounds with us, and uh, came up to a, a bed and just, it was just an incredible uh, uh, course that this particular patient had with a terrible, terrible femur fracture, and, but within a space of four or five days after surgery, was just up and walking, had been stuck in bed uh, for a long time, and, and so we were talking about how God does special things for our patients when we ask Him to, and this resident said, you know, I'm not going to use the name of the hospital, you know, that happens at our hospital all the time. I said, it seems to me you'd be a lot more excited about it than what you just seem. He was pretty ho-hum. And I'm like, God does really cool things like this at your hospital? And you're just, yeah, that happens all the time at our hospital. I want to talk about a few aspects of God's power. God's power is displayed certainly in nature and creation. In Psalm 33, 6 David says, the Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. I don't know if you're an old earther or a new earther, but for me this verse is like he speaks and it happens. So for me, I, I don't have a problem with a, a new earth. Am I right on that gene if I believe that God created the earth, the earth, uh, earth in seven days, literal days? I'm a, I'm a young earther, right? A young earther. So from this verse, I think it, it's possible that God could have done that in, uh, in seven days. Um, and then in Psalm 66, verse 6, 666, that's an interesting passage. You formed the mountains by your power and armed yourself with mighty strength. You quieted the raging oceans with their pounding waves and silenced the shouting of the nations. Those who live at the ends of the earth stand in awe of your wonders. From where the sun rises to where it sets, you inspire shouts of joy. You take care of the earth and water it, making it rich and fertile. You drench the plowed ground with rain, melting the clods and leveling the, rich, the ridges. A couple of things from this Psalm 66 um, passage uh, stand out to me. Uh, one of which is it says that those who live at the ends of the earth stand in awe of your wonders. Have any of you ever been to the ends of the earth? Anybody? I bet some of you feel like you've been pretty close. Where, where was that? Burmansk. Burmansk, okay. I was in a church service in Maasai near the Kenya-Tanzania border, and the chairman of the board of World Gospel Mission who was speaking that day said, I don't think this is the end of the world, but I think I could throw a stone <laughs> and reach the end from where we are right now. Uh, but I could tell you that those who live at the ends of the earth, at least at that location near the end of the earth, they do stand in awe of God's wonder, and they were singing hymns and praises to God on that particular day. And then that last sentence that I've underlined, though you drench the plowed ground with rain, melting the clods and leveling the ridges. And since it's springtime, and we got lots of rain coming, probably in the next month or so, uh, I thought I would read something that somehow, even though John Piper shared this devotional 
1998. I never heard it until 2017. Some of you probably have heard it uh, if, uh, since it was John Piper shared it in a devotional about 25 years ago. How many of you have heard the, from John Piper, the great work of God, reign? Has anyone heard that before? Yes, no one's heard it before. I wasn't the only person. Listen to this. Is rain a great and unsearchable wonder wrought by God? Picture yourself as a farmer in the Near East, far from any lake or stream. A few wells keep the family and animals supplied with water, but if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed from month to month, water has to come on the fields from another source. From where? Well, the sky. The sky, you ask? Water will come out of the clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then be poured out from the sky onto the fields. Carried, you ask? How much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland during the night, that would be 27,878,400 cubic feet of water, which is 206,300,160 gallons, which is 1,650,501,280 pounds of water. That's heavy. So how does it get up in the sky and stay up there if it's so heavy? Well, it gets up there by evaporation. Really, that's a nice word. What does it mean? It means that the water sort of stops being water for a while so it can go up and not down. Oh, I see, the farmer says. Then how does it get down? Well, condensation happens. Well, what's that? The water starts becoming water again by gathering around little dust particles between 0.00001 and 0.0001 centimeters wide. Well, that's pretty small. What about the salt? Salt? Yes. The Mediterranean Sea is salt water. That would kill the crops. What about the salt? Well, the salt has to be taken out. Oh, so the sky picks up billions of pounds of water from the sea, takes out the salt, and then carries it for 300 miles and then dumps it on the farm? Well, it doesn't dump it, you see. If it dumped a billion pounds of water on the farm, the wheat would be crushed. So the sky dribbles the billion pounds of water down in little drops. And they have to be big enough to fall for one mile or so without evaporating, and small enough to keep from crushing the wheat stalks. How do all these microscopic specks of water that weigh a billion pounds get heavy enough to fall? If that's even the way to ask the question. Well, it's called coalescence. Well, what's that? It means the specks of water start bumping into each other and join up and get bigger. And when they are big enough, they fall. Just like that? Well, not exactly, because you see, they would just bounce off each other instead of joining up if there was, if there was no electrical field present. What? Never mind. <laughs> just take my word for it. I think instead, I will just take God's word for it, including Job when he talks about rain and the psalmist that I just read from you from Psalm 66. 
I still don't see why drops ever get to the ground, because if they start falling as soon as they are heavier than air, they would be too small not to evaporate on the way down. But if they wait, not to, come, if they wait to come down, what holds them up till they are big enough not to evaporate? Yes, I'm sure there's a name for that too, but I'm satisfied now that by any name, this is a great and unsearchable thing that God has done. I think I should be thankful, lots more thankful than I currently am. The wonder of rain. God's power displayed against His enemies. In Exodus 14, 31, when the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before Him. They put their faith in the Lord and in His servant, Moses. And then Psalm 66, back in the same psalm, starting with verse 1, shout joyful praises to God, all the earth. Sing about the glory of His name. Tell the world how glorious He is. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Your enemies cringe before your mighty power. Everything on earth will worship you. They will sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious songs. Let me read that verse again. Not everyone, everything, everything on earth will worship you. They will sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious songs. There's a verse in Revelation chapter 5 that says, that John says in heaven, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and everything that is in the sea uh, singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory for e- and power forever. Amen. So John says that even the earthworms under the earth will somehow join in this chorus. Also in Revelation, this God's power displayed against his enemies. God's power will ultimately be displayed in ways that in Revelation. Uh, 6, it says, then the kings of the earth and the princes and the generals and the rich and the mighty and every slave and every uh, free man hid in caves and in rocks among the mountains. And they cried out to the rocks and the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the Lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? God's power displayed against His enemies. This uh, Psalm 66.5, actually, I actually want to take this, take this back. Come and see what our God has done, what awesome miracles He performs for people. When I first came across this verse several years ago, I was trying to figure out how to remember which chapter it came from, and immediately what came to mind was the very famous um, you've seen the animated Cars, the movie Cars and Mater. You remember the road that, that the uh, movie's based upon? It's uh, Route 66. Route 66 in verse 5. Come and see. Come and see what our God has done. What awesome miracles He performs for people. God's power is displayed through salvation. Bible tells us, Isaiah 63, 1, who is this who comes, not whom, who comes from Edom, from the city of Bozrah with his clothing stained red? 
Who is this in royal robes, marching in his great strength? It is I, the Lord, announcing your salvation. It is I, the Lord, who has the power to save. I love Isaiah, uh, this image of God in his strength coming in clothing stained in red. And in the context, you could say it's wine stain, but we know from what Christ did for us later that, his, that it's blood stained uh, clothing, his royal robes. And in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, God's power displayed through salvation, the power, the theme, Paul, over and over again in his letters, but especially to the Corinthians. Paul says, for Christ did not send me to baptize in 1 Corinthians 1. He, he sent me to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, power through salvation. I was inspired by Trish sharing uh, some of her patient stories, and uh, this is a picture that I show from time to time when I'm out and about talking about uh, the amazing thing, things that God has done. And some of the stories I love to tell the most are stories in which I had the least involvement. And in fact, you might even say I almost got in the way of God doing something special. Came that close, but God was greater than my lack of insight and faith. This is David who's standing between a couple of his family members. His last name is Sawek, S-A-W-E-K. David was an alcoholic, had been an alcoholic for years, many years, and was sent to another mission hospital uh, called Kapkatet uh, because in his malnutrition with his alcoholism, uh, he had been at home and developed pressure sores. And when I first saw him after, um, even in mission hospitals, sometimes there's a wallet, bi what we call a wallet biopsy in medicine, where the patient has no money, so you send them somewhere else. Well, this patient had run out of money at this other mission hospital, so they sent him to Tenwick <clears throat> under the pretense that we had better surgical services. Um, I knew better. But when I first saw David and rolled him over, it was the most horrific, awful sight that I'd ever seen. He had a sac huge sacral decubitus ulcer. He had ulcers on both of his hips. He had an ulcer even up on his spine. These were huge. They were foul-smelling lots of tissue, and I, my first response is, this guy has AIDS. Let's test him for AIDS. Came back negative. And so we learned the story that he had basically been drinking and drinking and drinking himself almost to death, malnourished. And uh, so with my team at the bedside, the head nurse, Sarah, standing there, I said, Sarah, this is just so desperate. I, we will drain the whole village of all their resources in the, the attempt, I can't fix this surgically, and maybe we should consider having the chaplain come, pray with him, share the gospel, and then let him go home. And Sarah got this big frown on her face, and she said, Dr. Chupp, don't you trust us nurses? I said, well, sure I trust you. Why, Sarah? I said, well, because we can take care of this. We can take care of this man. And I said, are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? This is terrible. He's probably going to die here in the hospital. I can't fix this surgically. She said, Dr. Chupp, can you just give us a couple of weeks? Just give us a couple of weeks. We'll take really good care of him. Now, this was like 
three years into my time at Temec, and I knew the nurses were overstretched. They didn't have the extra time on their hands and the margin to be constantly turning a guy like David and uh, to do dressing changes. And by the way, you know, who's ever seen a wound, these kind of wounds just kind of close up on their own? Well, God taught me a lesson because over the next three or four months, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. The nurses, maybe they, Sarah and her team took it as a challenge from the, the doctor in charge of the department that they, could, that they could make this work. So they showed him tender, loving care in Jesus' name. And the chaplains came and shared with him the gospel. And I can't tell you which day it happened. It happened over the course of four months. But this man's life was transformed. Went from this gloomy, despairing, malnourished face to this puffy face, a man with a smile on his face who said that Jesus had become his Savior during those four months. Now, there are a lot of stories that we missionaries can tell like that. And often we really can't tell you like the old radio host, uh, the rest of the story, who did that? Paul Harvey and the rest of the story. Usually, and especially like your GHO teams, how do you know what the rest of the story is? And even for me, living in Kenya, I mean, living full-time there, often we had no idea what happened next. But in David's case, one of the doctors who became one of my best friends over time, and in fact, I had him in line to take my place someday when I was no longer the medical director. He's now the CEO of another mission hospital in Kenya, Elijah Terer. David was one of the neighbors of Elijah from his home village. And so one year, two years, three years, five years, ten years passed. Elijah would go home from time to time and would meet David Sawek in the middle of this picture. And he said, he is on fire. He's an elder in the church. Uh, he, he's, God healed him at Timbuk Hospital of his alcoholism. He's never touched alcohol again. So imagine, I didn't have the faith. <laughs> My recommendation was to send him home. But God displayed his incredible saving power because God's power is just as great when he changes a human heart like this as it is when he parts the Red Sea. And some would say, there's a saying, hard is easy, soft is hard. You know, the human heart can sometimes be a lot harder to change than tearing down a building and building up, putting up a new structure. The human heart can be really tough, but God has the power to change. And then last, I wanted to share with you God's power displayed through resurrection. And uh, Paul's uh, verse there in Philippians, chapter 3, verses 10, 11, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. A couple weekends ago, I had the opportunity to go and celebrate the life of one of my heroes. I was at a funeral for Dr. Ron Baker, and I have to be careful because sometimes I say Ron Brown because I know Ron Brown, but this is Dr. Ron Baker. Ron was raised in Sierra Leone, West Africa, uh, spent his childhood running around with Mende children and spoke fluent Mende, as well as French Creole. Uh, when he became, got through high school, he came back to the States went to medical school and became a family physician. And then he and his wife Jane went back to Sierra Leone to Matru Hospital in South Sierra Leone with the United Brethren Church where he served for 16 years and would have continued serving except that his wife got river blindness and went completely blind, Jane. 
and so he brought her back to the States, and they practiced at Southwestern Medical Clinic. He did for many years. He became my doctor, one of my uh, greatest cheerleaders over the years that I served at Timok Hospital. Ron, just six months ago, it's just amazing. Sometimes, um, I mean, life can end pretty quickly and not necessarily because of an accident. Ron was losing a little bit of weight, five pounds, went to see his doctor. They said, oh, I'll come back in six, six months. One of the doctors at Southwestern came back six months. He had lost 15 pounds and did a CT scan. He had a very large pancreatic tumor that was asymptomatic. And within six months, Ron went to be with Jesus. But during those six months, Ron had an incredible, powerful ministry among Sierra Leoneans flew from Sierra Leone to come meet with him before he passed away because of the impact that he and his parents had had uh, on the Mende people. Um, Ron never lost his joy, never. He produced about five videos uh, and has them on his Facebook page. And one of those videos was shown at the funeral, um, a, message, uh, in, uh, a message to the Mende people. And when it was all over, the pastor and the AV team there at Bering Center Bible Church where we had the funeral, which used to be my home church, they didn't tell Ron that they were still had the camera on. And they said, Ron, you know, you just did that in Creo and, Eng and uh, Mende. Could you explain that for viewers who don't speak Mende or Creole, what you just, what you just your challenge, um, this word from heaven? And so Ron then explained what he had just said. And so I wanted to share this three-minute video with you uh, that Ron shared with us on that day. My family, I have a word for you now that I'm here in heaven. Look at me. Can you see my teeth? Because I'm smiling. I'm happy. I have joy. There's no end to eternity. That big water that I crossed is much wider than the Zhang River, where my brother, the Taye, the, Te the Mendy name. Bigger than the Sewe, which is bigger than that. It's past, way, way past any ocean. That. Now, I am at the feet of my Savior, Jesus Christ. I praise Him. I thank Him. I bless Him because there's no end to eternal life. He, he saved me. I have no pain. The sickness, the cancer that, that knocked me down, that doctors weren't able to do, Jesus healed immediately. <laughs> gamma, gamma, right away. You know. uh, he did a miracle for me. I'm talking about in heaven. And he has given me great life there that goes on forever. Jesus and I are dancing now. Because <laughs> there's no end to eternal life. The Mendy have a proverb that says, you can't be at the bottom of a hill and know what's going up on top. I'm now up there. And I'm seeing miracles all around me. There's no end to eternal life. St. Paul and, uh, you know, first that said, I have not seen nor ear heard, and it hasn't even come into the heart, the things that God has in store for those who love him. That's going to, oh, my family, I can't begin 
to say, to tell you all these things because there's no end to eternity. And now I'm looking forward to seeing you someday. My, my, my family, my, my people, my friends, all of you down there on earth, I am begging you, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, ask him to come into your heart in a faith way so that you can gain salvation. Don't wait. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he also said those who believed on him, he gave the right to become the children of God, those who believed on his name. Please do this because here there's, there's no end to eternity. I had lots of questions. Um, I asked God a few questions like why, I mean, Ron was only 75 years old. I mean, <clears throat> honestly, he didn't even live to be the average age of a, of a man, was in perfect health, was a man's man. The testimonies that came from the next two generations were just outstanding. And I, I don't understand, I really don't, his ways and thoughts are not certainly Mike Chupp's ways and thoughts. But uh, just one thought this morning as I was thinking back on my experience of going to that funeral uh, was that the, the powerful testimony of this godly man, the life he had lived. And if for no other reason, of course, there are thousands and thousands of other reasons why God would take Ron earlier than perfect, again, perfect health, was a stud, worked out every day, why God would take him and his wife now, blind, uh, is going to be dependent upon other family members. But if nothing else, then uh, I recalibrated my life by going to that funeral, realized that that someday when God takes me, that, that is how I want to finish. That is how I want to finish. And I want to be able with complete confidence to show a world and say, do you see the smile on my face? I'm in heaven now. And to be, have that confidence and that kind of powerful testimony. I wanted to conclude um, this part one by, from Ephesians 3. Part two, I'll, I'll finish up uh, with an admonition that I heard from Alan Waldecker on Sunday, the last two verses of chapter 3. But today I want to finish. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Let me pray and I'll let, I'll, uh, we'll do any announcements and let you go. Heavenly Father, your power is amazing. It shows itself up in just so many different ways. And let us, uh, Lord, uh, please forgive us when we have not acknowledged the ways that you have demonstrated your power and provided for us. And uh, let us be so aware here at CMDA uh, and uh, these days when it seems that the church has more and more um, active uh, and aggressive enemies, um, the enemy is wanting to beat us down, that we know that you have power over our enemies, and we just need to trust in you and your providence. Go with us throughout the rest of this day, Father, and uh, we, we trust you to help us uh, through each and every task. Um, and again, I just ask that you give wisdom and help protect our program to provide Category 1 credit 
in uh, the conversations this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen.